In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the sayings and tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thank you so much for reading for us, Linda. Um, If you could keep that scripture passage open, we're going to be looking at that together in the next few moments. And you can find some space for notes if you'd like to take them on page four in the bulletin as well. Uh, But before we uh, consider God's word together, let's go to him in prayer. Let's ask for his help. Um, Father God, thank you so much um, again for this Christmas season, for the great gift of Jesus Christ um, uh, that we just read of. Um, Lord, thank you for the great promise of his everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that uh, he inaugurated in his his death and resurrection and, and uh, which he will return to, uh, to reclaim as his own uh, when he comes again. And so, Lord, we pray now that you would uh, help us uh, to consider your word in light of his coming by your spirit, uh, strengthen and encourage us and open our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Familiarity breeds contempt. That's what we often say. Uh, and at the very least, when you see something often enough, you do tend to become blind to it. Uh, Take, for example, the pile of toys that is strewn around our family room at the moment. Uh, With a one-year-old, you kind of get used to it. Uh, But if you were to stop by our home unannounced, you might wonder if we'd been burgled or something. Uh, Storage bins just emptied all over the floor. I mean, maybe the burglars were looking for some sort of hidden USB drive or something. Uh, Can you tell I read slightly too many spy thrillers? Uh, When you hear or see something often enough, you kind of become immune to it. And I wonder if the same thing can happen with Christmas. Uh, From mid-November, or even before, we hit this downhill run to Christmas. The decorations, the shopping, 
the music. And of course, deep down, most of us know what it is all about. What we're celebrating is the birth of the Lord Jesus. Maybe even your decorations include a nativity scene. And yet at the same time, it is all so familiar. Even at church, we read passages just like the one we've just read or the ones that we're going to read tonight. Uh, I have no idea who Quirinius is, but I'm sure most of you could tell me that you learned from a young age that Quirinius was the governor of Syria. We just blitz through these things, and we don't stop and think about them. Uh, Familiarity can breed contempt even when it comes to the message of Christmas. Uh, We miss how amazing, how incredible, how unimaginable it is that God became man. Uh, The greatest miracle ever seems to just pass us by. Uh, Sure, we say, yes, we're celebrating the incarnation as if if that was just nothing or happened every day. Uh, But do you ever stop to think about what that means? Uh, Well, since I have a few minutes of your time right now, that's actually what I'm going to encourage you to do in the next few moments. Uh, I want us to stop and consider uh, what all of this says about God. Uh, Now, it says a lot of things about God. Uh, We could spend all day considering this, but what I want to highlight are three things. Uh, Three things that we find in the text that we just read, if you want to turn back there so that you can follow along. Uh, We're looking at the announcement of Jesus' birth to Mary, and what I want to consider are these three things. Uh, At the first Christmas, God defies our preconceptions. Uh, God defies our preconceptions. Secondly, at the first Christmas, God does what he promises. He does what he promises. And then finally, God demonstrates his power. He defies our preconceptions. He does what he promises, and he he demonstrates his great power. Uh, Firstly, let's consider how God uh, defies our our preconceptions. Uh, That's our first point. Uh, Now, we have to say all of us do tend to have preconceived ideas about God. It's not uncommon to hear people say things like this. You know, I like to think of God like this. Uh, But what I want to suggest is the events of Christmas completely crush our own earthly expectations. Uh, When it comes to our preconceptions, this first Christmas blows our thoughts about God out of the water. Uh, At Christmas, God himself entered the world. Uh, And the way he does this serves to dispel all human speculation about him. Uh, Perhaps the story of Luke chapter 1 is too familiar for us to feel the surprise. Uh, But did you notice Mary's initial response? Uh, She was certainly very surprised. Uh, She was clearly shocked and confused. Look down at verse 26 with me. I mean, how would you respond if an angel visited you? At verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the six months, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Uh, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And now Mary is clearly perplexed, and she should be. And consider what we learn about her in just these few short verses. Uh, Basically, she was a humble girl from a hodunk town. Uh, Mary was likely just a teenager at the time with with nothing particularly impressive on her resume. And Nazareth was just some backwater little village up in the north. It was hardly the New York City or the Washington, D.C. of its day. It it was more like Mukunji or maybe even somewhere smaller than that. 
And yet here we have an angel appearing to her. I mean, maybe she looked around, favored one. The Lord is with me. I mean, who exactly are you talking to? And maybe the angel missed his turn on the highway. Uh, maybe his GPS needed recalibrating. Uh, no, we're told specifically that God singled Mary out. Verse 26 tells us that the angel was sent from God to a city uh, of Galilee named Nazareth, to this virgin who was named Mary specifically. And God doesn't just send a low-level pen-pushing diplomat either. Uh, quite a few angels appear in the Bible, but rarely are they named, suggesting this one is particularly notable. God pulls out the big guns. He sends Gabriel, perhaps the cosmic equivalent of the Secretary of State. Imagine Anthony Blinken showing up on your doorstep with a message from the president. Maybe not quite as welcome, but certainly as much of a surprise as this. Although certainly this was far greater. This is a message from God himself. God favors you. God is with you, really? Of everyone, everywhere in the world, God chooses Mary? Yes, and I think that's the point. That's the point I'm trying to make. God's ways are not our ways. His plans are not our plans. He works in ways that we simply would not expect. God, when he intends to save the world, doesn't do what we would do. I mean, if you plan to save the world, who would you pick as the key players to do so? Maybe some sort of superhero. Maybe you'd turn to Marvel and you'd consider the Avengers. Would you single out someone weak? someone powerless, someone unknown from an unknown place? Or would you rather pick someone powerful, someone influential? Would you rather try and get someone elected to a powerful position in a powerful place? Uh, yet when God became man, this is what he chose to do. He sets his favor on a humble virgin in the village of Nazareth. And that really is a huge shock. It is a huge surprise. Uh, and yet we easily miss this because the story of Christmas is just so familiar. Uh, and listen, this is something we find again and again in the Bible. Uh, we find that God so often defies our preconceptions of him. Uh, and we find it in this way again and again. The almighty God chooses to use humble means to fulfill his plans. As the Apostle Paul writes elsewhere, uh, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And then he gives us the reason so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Uh, of course, the place we see this most of all isn't even at Jesus' birth. In fact, his birth in its humble origin is, is something of a foreshadowing of his death, isn't it? If we're surprised that God would use this humble girl from this small town, how much more should we be astonished by this? that Mary's son would one day hang on a cross, bruised, beaten, publicly shamed. And yet, this would be the very means that God would use to save humanity for himself. God defies our preconceptions. And this, I think, is a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge to each of us to keep an open mind when it comes to God. Maybe you have all kinds of ideas about God, how you would like to think about him or how you want him to act. Maybe you have a huge Christmas list for God, a list of things you would want him to do or things that you would do if you were God. If so, then rather than resting on your own ideas, why don't you consider God's own revelation? This is one of the main points of Christmas, that God has not left us in the dark. 
He's revealed himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you this Christmas, spend some time reading one of the Gospels, spend some time pondering what God has revealed about himself to us. Maybe you're here at church for the first time today. Uh, maybe you've even been dragged here by a friend who uh, you were a little bit more willing because it was Christmas and so you decided to come with them. Uh, maybe you wouldn't even consider yourself a Christian. If so, I want to encourage you in particular with this first point. I want to encourage you to have an open mind. Uh, could it be that God might indeed work through something uh, as weak as Christianity, something as weak as, as this book, the Bible? Uh, could it be that God uh, would work through a weak and humble Savior, Jesus Christ? Might this not be exactly what you need, even though you might be inclined to reject it? Are you willing to consider that God, the living God, might be the kind of God uh, to defy your preconceptions of him? And that's one of the things we find at the first Christmas. Uh, the first Christmas uh, defies our preconceptions of God. But secondly, at that first Christmas, God does more than that. God clearly demonstrates that he does what he promises. Uh, God does what he promises. That's our second point. And here really is the point. Uh, that while the first Christmas defies what we would expect, at exactly the same time, it is what we should expect. It defies what we would expect, but it's exactly what we should expect. Uh, here in Luke chapter 1, everything happens exactly the way that God had said it would hundreds of years earlier. And now imagine Christmas Day, it's going to be here soon. In fact, it will be here tomorrow. Uh, your gifts might already be under the tree, or maybe Santa or someone else will drop them off uh, so that they're there in the morning. I, we will perhaps do it a bit differently as families. Uh, and as you open the gifts, there will be things that you expect, gifts that you asked for, even uh, gifts that maybe you dropped a lot of hints about. Maybe there are even things that you kind of got a few hints from your parents that you're going to get. Uh, and then, of course, in addition to that, there will be some surprises, uh, things that you didn't expect. Maybe the things you didn't even want, and yet, of course, you would be far too polite to say so. Uh, what about the gift God gives in Luke chapter 1? What kind of gift is this? Is Jesus coming really a surprise? Or is it something that we should have been waiting for with great eagerness? Uh, well, it's a surprise in some sense, just as we've already seen. Uh, Mary wasn't sat at the door waiting for an angel to show up. It wasn't like Christmas morning. She was, she was like a child sat on the stairs waiting for mum and dad to get up so they could open the presents. And yet at the same time, when you step back, nothing here is a surprise at all, or at least it shouldn't be. In fact, the very surprising elements themselves are things that God had already revealed that all of this happens in Galilee, in this down-and-out town, There's this humble virgin is going to conceive miraculously, uh, that her son would come from David's line and sit on David's throne. In fact, God had predicted these things specifically and precisely. In terms of Mary, she's perfectly qualified to fulfill God's plan. Uh, listen to what God says in Isaiah 7, chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign, writes Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And so Zaire is, is telling us that, that God would come. He would show up. And when God came, how would he come? Well, he would be born of a virgin. And where will this take place? Well, well listen to these words from Isaiah 9. We read them just a few moments earlier. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, we read, Nevertheless, 
there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. And what does Isaiah say will take place in Galilee? Well, he tells us that those people who walked in darkness will see a great light. Why will they see that light? Well, he tells us in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. And that's exactly what the angel says to, to Mary in Luke chapter 1, isn't it? In fact, uh, Isaiah chapter 9 continues. Of the greatness of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. I mean, the angel is almost directly quoting Isaiah, isn't he? Uh, the point is, everything is going according to plan. Uh, what God had promised centuries earlier, he is now accomplishing. It, it's as if God couldn't keep a secret. It can be hard, can't it, when you have an awesome gift to give someone. Uh, you want them to know what it is, and yet you don't want them to know. And, and it's as if God was, was dropping hints all along. He'd been promising the coming of Christ for millennia. And he had said uh, that he would come to save us from the mess we had made. Uh, the mess that we have made of our lives, of society, of the world, the mess that all comes about because of our rebellion against him. And yet in his love, God had said he would come to save. And here he is in, in Nazareth uh, through this angel announcing the fact that he's about to show up. And he's going to show up exactly where he promised to come in the way he told us he would through a virgin in this small town of Nazareth in Galilee. And so what can we say about God? Uh, well, we can rejoice in this amazing truth that God is a God who keeps his promises. Uh, this is amazing news about Christmas, isn't it? Something we often miss because it's just so familiar to us. Uh, the very fact that God would make promises to sinful people is an incredible thing in and of itself. Uh, that he would commit to save us from our own foolish, rebellious choices is frankly crazy. Uh, but that he would follow through on that commitment and come down to earth, that should blow us away. I mean, in a world that's so full of spin, so many lies, so much small print, so many marketing gimmicks, uh, in this world where talk is cheap, this sets God apart, doesn't it? That God keeps his word to us. Uh, God does exactly what he promises to do. Uh, what does that mean for us this morning? Well, surely it means this. It means that we can trust him, that we can trust him with our lives. We can trust everything that he says. All of God's promises here in Scripture find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That includes his promise to forgive you when you fail. It includes his promise to give you strength to carry on when you feel like quitting. It includes the promise that he will work all things together for good. Maybe not now in a way that's obvious in this life, but in a way that will be obvious to everyone in eternity. And if you don't know these promises, if you don't know what the Bible says, I, I suggest, I even encourage you to read it. The Bible is the most incredible book, a book that many people just reject out of hand. They say it's old-fashioned, it can't be trusted, it's just so full of contradictions. In my experience, the people who say those things either haven't read it or haven't studied it seriously. They haven't experienced the way that it all fits together, even as we see here in Luke chapter 1. 
written over 1,500 years by around 40 different human authors, uh, but with one common and consistent message, a message of salvation through the Lord Jesus, a message about how God came to earth to save us from ourselves, to save us from the judgment we deserve because of our foolish rebellion, a message about the most amazing God, the true and living God, A God who reveals himself at the first Christmas. He reveals himself to be a God who defies our preconceptions and a God who does what he promises. And thirdly and finally, we also need to see this, that at the first Christmas, God demonstrates his power. He demonstrates his power. Not only does he act to save us in a surprising way, just as he's promised to do, he demonstrates that he is able to do so. Uh, What I mean is this. Uh, In the events of the Incarnation, God demonstrates that he is able to do the seemingly impossible. Uh, This, after all, is, is, I think, one of the big problems many people have with Christianity. Uh, Christians claim there is an all-powerful, all-loving God, and, and even with that, many people have a problem, don't they? If that is true, why doesn't God do something about all of the pain all of the suffering in the world, some of the very things that that Chip led us in prayer for earlier. And the great answer, the great answer of Christmas is that God has, he will. That is why Jesus Christ came. In the person of Jesus Christ, God came to earth. The eternal Son of God was incarnate. He took to himself a true body and reasonable soul, as our confession says. And he did this in order to redeem us. And yet, this is the very point at which many people have an even greater problem. Uh, For some, this just seems too far-fetched. How can an immortal, uh, unchanging God take on mortal, changeable human flesh? Isn't this just a fairy tale, Uh, some sort of ancient Greek myth? Uh, I mean, this actually is one of the issues many other religions have with the Christian faith. Uh, They argue that God is just too great, too powerful, too transcendent. How could a God so holy, uh, so untouchable, ever enter this fallen world, ever become one with the human race? The very possibility of the incarnation is something people take issue with. And we should note, actually, that we see the very same thing in our passage. In verse 30, the angel Gabriel announces the birth of God's son. Take a look at verse 30. Let's look at that verse again. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. You can imagine the orchestra playing in the background as the angel announces all of this. I'm thinking about maybe something out of Handel's Messiah. This amazing news about how God will keep his promises to his people, it comes to a crescendo in verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But then things grind to a screeching halt in verse 34, where Mary asks what I think is the obvious question. In fact, I love that Mary asked this question because it's the one that all of us would ask, surely. I mean, it's the immediate question for her, how will this be? since I'm a virgin. Okay, she says, I'm going to have a child, the Son of God. How is this even possible? I mean, how is it even possible physically? 
I mean, it's hardly that people 2,000 years ago were just naive. I mean, this is what some people claim, that people back then believed in angels and miracles and things like that. We believe in science. Science has uncovered the secrets of the universe. That might be true, but, but let me tell you this. How babies are made isn't some cosmic secret. Mary knows how it all works. She knows what the angel is saying is frankly impossible. Uh, it's even more impossible to think of who this child would be, that the Son of God, God himself incarnate. And so Gabriel continues in verse 35. He clarifies. In fact, he doubles down. Verse 35, and the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This isn't just any child born in a natural way. No, this is going to be God in the flesh, the Son of God incarnate. Now, what does this all mean? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. We don't know. it. It's quite hard to say. And yet we know in the midst of it, as hard as this is for Mary to understand, God is incredibly gracious to her, isn't he? God gives Mary a sign. In fact, I really have noticed this for the first time. In case she's doubting how this is all going to work, God has already done the impossible. Her elderly relative, Elizabeth, well past the age of childbearing, is now miraculously six months pregnant. Uh, and it's amazing, isn't it? We see Mary running off to, to make sure that's true. And only as she witnesses that does she, she lead in that song of praise that we, we sang and read together earlier. Uh, but we get this great statement, don't we? That really, it's a key statement in our text, a key verse in the whole Bible. It's one of the core implications we should draw about God from, from the Christmas season. Uh, and yet it's something we so often miss because we're so familiar with Christmas. Uh, what does the first Christmas teach us? It teaches us this. Look at verse 37. It teaches us that nothing will be impossible with God. Uh, nothing is impossible with God. There is nothing that God is unable to do. Uh, to suggest that God is far too great to become a man misses the point completely because God is greater than that. So great, in fact, that becoming a man is possible for him. Uh, God's greatness is seen not in his standing aloof or far off from the world, but in his willingness and his ability to enter into it. His greatness is shown in Christ, in Christ himself, who, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited to his own advantage. But as Paul writes in Philippians, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that same Jesus Christ is now risen and exalted. He is seated on the throne of heaven. And one day, at his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue exalt him. And this is the great power God has demonstrated on that first Christmas day. That God isn't only a God of great love, but a God of great power, a God who is both willing and able to save. And nothing is impossible with God. Is that the God that you believe in today? A God who doesn't work in exactly the way that we expect. We've already seen that. A God who might not do exactly what we want him to do, but a God who nevertheless always keeps his promises to us. 
a God of great and mighty power. Uh, do you know that God? Or has this message been drowned out by the familiarity of this Christmas season? Amid all of the decorations and the traffic, the gifts and the traffic, the meals and the traffic, have you forgotten what Christmas shows you about God? And don't miss this as you celebrate this evening, as you celebrate tomorrow. In fact, let me give you a, a little bit of homework. Uh, over Christmas dinner or whenever you're gathered around, uh, why not go around and see if you can remember the points that we've just considered together this morning? In Luke chapter 1, as the angel Gabriel announces the birth of Jesus Christ, what we learn about God is this. God defies our preconceptions. God does what he promises. God demonstrates his power. And so according to that same power, may God grant each of us a deeper knowledge of him this Christmas. Uh, let's pray for that now, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for the amazing uh, reality that we read of in Luke chapter 1. Uh, this great news uh, of Jesus Christ coming, uh, being born of a virgin, uh, taking on himself a uh, human flesh, a uh, reasonable soul, uh, taking on our likeness so that he might redeem us. And Lord, we thank you for uh, the way that you do not do what we want, but, but what we need. You defy our preconceptions. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who keeps your word. You fulfill your promises to us. And we thank you for your amazing power that you are able to save us. And so we pray that by, by that power you would help us to know you this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.